right, let's read together um, the whole, actually, of chapter 4 of First John. So you'll be patient with me because it's an entire 21 verses. The reason why I want to read the whole of it is because we are just entering into that section of scripture and it's important that we capture something of the whole context. First John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. For this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Therefore, rather, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, as you can see, we are back in our series of messages in First John and as we have said, these messages are around the theme of assurance of salvation. We have said that 
this is important at least for two reasons. One is that it enables you to serve the Lord meaningfully and indeed with real earnestness. And that's because you have experienced his love. You have experienced his salvation. And consequently, you want to share it with others around you. If you cannot speak of the fact that your sins are forgiven, your destination has consequently been changed from hell to heaven, you are not likely going to be an enthusiastic evangelist. You won't, because evangel is simply good news. And what good news have you got if you cannot speak in those definite terms? But we've also said that assurance of salvation is important because we want to know if death visits us, whether we would truly go to heaven. We really want to know that. And it is possible for you to think you will go to heaven only to discover when you are face to face with God on the day of judgment that you were grossly mistaken. And that's why an entire book like this has been written on this subject. It is because it is filled with tests, one test after the other, so that we are able to check ourselves and say, is this true about me? And if we find that again and again we are failing the test, it is our responsibility to go before God and said to him, Lord, save me. Jesus, you have come to save sinners. And I can see from your word that I have not been saved. Save me and save me now. So that as I read your word, I'm able to say, yes, that's me. That's me. These changes being spoken about are true of me. Well, in chapter 3, we had seen at least two strands of tests in terms of assurance of salvation. The first, which we saw from verse 4 down to verse 10, was the test of morality, the change that takes place in our hearts that causes us to hate sin and to love righteousness. And John is quite emphatic about this. He says, no one, in verse 9, born of God makes a practice of sin, of sinning. Reason? For God's seed abides in him. He goes further. And he cannot keep on sinning. Again, why? Because he has been born of God. God. He's quite emphatic about it. In other words, if you're an individual who continues to live in sin, to love sin, to drink sin as if it, it, it was water, just know that you are not a Christian. It doesn't matter even if you've been baptized in this very church, welcomed as a member in this church and every other credential, you are not a Christian if you still love sin, if you continue living in sin, it's proof that you have not been born of God. And the sooner you seek Christ to save you, the better it will be. The second test, which in fact goes on right up to the end of chapter 4, is the test of love. And more specifically, love for believers. And we have seen over and over again in this, the passage thus far that this is not speaking about feelings. It's not saying, do you feel like you love the brethren? It's, it's at a very practical level. And that's why he says there, if anyone has the world's goods, in verse 17, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him. That question is meant to go straight for the conscience. How can you claim to love when in the moment when you should show that love in a practical way, you quickly close your heart and say, no, I won't. There it is, living proof 
that the love of God does not reside within you. Well, that's what we have looked at across chapter 3. And towards the end, from 19 downwards, John was using these areas as a tool by which we quieten our own consciences when we do something that is averse to the God of heaven, when our consciences smite us? How do we still, as it were, speak to ourselves that I'm truly still a child of God? And so John ends on that note. Today, we, we begin with the duty of testing the spirits, which is what we find from verse 1 to verse 6, the duty of testing the spirits. And it comes as a surprise to us, I'm sure, that in the midst of these teachings concerning testing ourselves on the basis of love, suddenly John seems to veer off and start talking to us about testing the spirits. What we need to appreciate very quickly are two things. First of all, it's, it's very clear that this is a parenthesis. It's a it's something he detours into for a while and then comes back to the issue of love. And you can't miss it because by the time you come back to verse 7 of chapter 4, listen to what he says there. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So he's really come back again to the subject of love. He's detoured a little bit here. Why has he done so? And that's the second point I want us to look at quickly by way of introduction. It seems to me that it is because he has begun to speak about the spirit at the end of chapter 3. Read verse 24 there. Chapter 3 and verse 24. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. That's how we know that indeed um, we are his children. It is by the, the Holy Spirit who has come to take residence within us. The Holy Spirit, who has come to take residence within us, is not quietly sitting in a little corner in our hearts waiting for instructions from us. He is actively leading us. He is actively guiding us. He actively strengthens us morally and enables us to live a life that was previously not there. In other words, he is doing something in us. Now, it is on the basis of that that John suddenly comes to warn us that not every spirit is from God. That we have the duty to test the spirit. And he goes on, as we shall see next time, to how we test the spirits. How do we do so? So that we can know that the spirit that we are currently dealing with, and I'll speak about how we deal with these spirits, that this spirit is from God and consequently is a safe spirit. We can follow his proddings. We can follow his leadership. And only after that does he go back to the subject of love. So he obviously does it because it is for our own safety. It's important. Because people will mess you up. The spirits that are in them and leading them and using them as they are coming to have dealings with you, those spirits can mess you up. 
And there are a lot of people who were literally on the right path until they came into the hands of false prophets, of false spirits, and they have been destroyed. They are a shadow of their former selves. And consequently, John wants to warn us here. Don't get carried away with some frothy feelings of just being loved or loving or being loved and loving and so on. Think, is this spirit a spirit from God? So how does he begin in these instructions? First of all, he's basically saying to us that we must never be spiritually careless by believing every preacher. We must never do so. This attitude of just trusting, blindly trusting, is dangerous. Don't be careless, he is saying. Look at the way he puts it there. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe it. Now, the obvious question that comes to our minds is, how does one believe or disbelieve a spirit? How? At least, if it was something physical, standing in front of you with an audible voice, I would be able to say, yes, I believe you or I don't believe you. But how does one do it with a spirit? Well, the answer is quite simple. Spirits work through human beings. Spirits work through human beings. Just as in the previous verse where we read, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And this is referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to take residence in believers. And when it takes residence in believers, those believers begin to minister to you in a particular way. And you know that. Usually in a home, it is one individual who gets saved first. His life becomes different. It's transformed. And that individual begins to speak to his brothers and sisters, if he's a parent to his children, if he's a child even to the parents. He begins to speak to them in a particular way. He begins to say, no, we should not be doing this. We should not live like this. This is wrong. This will bring God's judgment upon us. He also begins to speak positively about those issues that are morally upright, that are righteous. He begins to commend them, to encourage them, and so on. What is happening? The Spirit of God, resident in him, is ministering to the rest of the family. That's positive. But the point is, evil spirits also work through human beings. And they work through those human beings to tempt other people. So temptation does not come with something that looks like it's human, except that it is dressed in some skin-tight red costume with a tail that sort of hangs fairly high and a red fork in the other hand and then is telling you to sin, obviously we wouldn't listen. It's through fellow human beings who come to us. They are friends. They're speaking to us. And they use the word, come on, Mwana. Come on. And in the process you yield, the evil spirits, foul spirits, are working through human beings to lead you astray. But they don't just do it in terms of temptation, they also do it in terms of deceit. They lie, they deceive you, 
They make you think what you are doing is the right thing and you only discover later on that it was completely wrong. So what he is saying here is that just because you feel that what this person is saying is nice, it's appealing to you, it does not necessarily mean it is true. It doesn't mean it is right. He's saying, don't be gullible. Don't be careless. Think. And the fact that a person who is speaking to you is sincere does not mean that he is right or what he's saying is true. A person can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Now, I'm emphasizing this because that seems to be the way in which we, we are made to become careless and gullible. It is when the person that is being used by all kinds of spirits appears to be sincere. And so we begin to think, no, I, I, don't, I don't think he's, he's deliberately cheating me. I, I, I don't think so. And because we, we honestly don't think so, we assume, therefore, this must be true. And yet it is not. And one of the ways in which I hope to keep illustrating this is with the modern deliverance movement, the spirit that is behind that. Too many people are gullibly believing the spirit of the deliverance movement. And what do I mean by that? It is this teaching that has now become so commonplace that almost makes me kick my radio when I'm listening to it. Which is constantly saying, if you want more money in your pockets, if you want marriage and marriage hasn't been coming around, you want children and you just haven't been having children, you want a job, you, you want promotion at your workplace, come for deliverance. There's just some spirit that is blocking this blessing coming your way. Come, and usually you are invited to an overnight prayer meeting or into the hills somewhere to go and, and exercise whatever this thing is so that blessings may flow. And it's become the common fare, the common diet of the average pulpit with hundreds, if not thousands of people constantly rushing there, constantly rushing there. Especially when what you have is a terminal illness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quickly out of hospital, on a stretcher, into the bushes, for prophet so-and-so to go and do his work. And then a funeral two weeks later, but of course you paid him some money as seed money for the miracle to happen. No questions are being asked with respect to issues of sin, with whether people are living an upright life, with whether individuals have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. Nothing like that is being asked. The belief is that there is some spirit that's blocking the blessing. Come for deliverance. And I'm not suggesting in any way that every one of those teachers is deliberately being deceitful, but that's the point that's being made here. That because a person is sincere does not mean he is right. A person can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. So to begin with, John is saying to all of us, don't be gullible. Do not be too believing. Have a sense of caution and discernment, which is what he goes on to say as he proceeds. Listen to this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Be discerning. Test every teacher. Test every preacher so that you are sure that this person has been truly sent from God because it is this God that you finally have to appear before. And if you listen to somebody whom he did not send to you, that person will lead you astray and when you meet with God, it will be too late. Again, bear in mind, spirits work through human beings in order to communicate with you. And the point, therefore, that is being made here is that there are some spirits that will claim to be from God, but are not from him. So it's your responsibility to put every spirit to the test. Don't rely on what they are saying. There are some objective tests that you can use. And we'll obviously see them next time. I'll touch on it briefly as we continue. The point, therefore, that's being made is that these spirits can be deceptive. They can be. They can, to borrow the words that Paul uses concerning the evil one, they can turn themselves to be like angels of light. When actual fact, they are demons of darkness. And therefore, it is possible it is very possible for you to believe them and to continue thinking they are taking you to God until when you wake up on the opposite end, it's not God but the devil you are with. There is a famous book that was written by John Bunyan. It's called... uh, Uh, Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, I urge you to do so. Find it somewhere and read it. You're missing out on something. Write it down. Pilgrim's Progress. And children, say to your parents, it must be the gift on your birthday. Pilgrim's Progress, if you haven't read it yet. But there's another book that's been written later on, many, many years later. It's a much, much smaller book that is written, meant to warn us today that there are many people that think they are heading for heaven when out of fact they're going to hell. And it's entitled The Celestial Railroad. Celestial Railroad. Um, I forget the guy, the author's name, but one of his names is Nathaniel. I forget what his surname is. But that book is, is written with a contemporary feel to it. In other words, uh, it's now a railroad. So you know, the pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress actually walks all the way until he gets to the final river and then swims through and gets to the celestial city. He walks. But now, where this pilgrim used to walk, there is now an actual railroad. So you don't need to go through all those swamps and so on. You now just sort of sit in this uh, train and head out for heaven. And every so often, they interact with Pilgrim's Progress to bring out some of the issues that that were happening in Pilgrim's Progress. For instance, Vanity Fair, if you remember when Christian found himself there, they were ill-treated because they were not participating in what was happening there. Well, now, uh, these guys who are in the railroad come out and they really enjoy the fair, enjoy it. Wow, things have changed now. And they get back into the train and the journey continues. And uh, whereas Christian, they had to get into the water to find their way dangerously through to the celestial city, now there is an actual boat that's there. 
and the guys finally jump in and you know it's the same things have changed. It's so nice now. And so on. And as they get in the boat and the boat begins to go, uh, the guy who's in charge of the boat, smoke is coming out of his ears. So, hey, hang on. How come? And then he laughs. And it's a devilish laugh. <laughs> Those of you who watch movies, I'm sure you can make out what it is. <laughs> they realize too late that actually it's not a trip to heaven, it's a trip to hell. And that's the way it ends. It just ends with that devilish laugh. The point the author was making is precisely this. That you see, they they give you a false sense of assurance that all is well between you and God. After all, you are now getting his blessings. All must be well. They make you overlook the fact that your heart is still in love with sin. They make you overlook the fact that you're not really trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. They make you overlook the fact that if the Spirit of God is in you, he breaks the bars of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. They make you overlook all that until it is too late. In other words, you live a lie. You live a lie until it is too late. I've given this example before concerning my friend who was going for a meeting in South Africa. And upon getting to Chirundu, changed his money from Kwacha to Zimbabwean dollars. No, no, to to the South African rand. No, you didn't touch the Zimbabwean dollars those days. South African rand, and he got it and started the journey all the way to uh, the South African border, right across the country of Zimbabwe. And while he was going through Zimbabwe, as far as he was concerned, everything was okay. What more do you want? Until he got to the South African border and needed to pay some money at the border. And as he produced the money, he was told, no, 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 this is fake. Produce some more, it's fake. Produce some more, fake. Finally, he produced everything and he was told all that was fake money. So he had to make a U-turn and come back home. In those days, I used to live in this house. So when he showed up at my front door, I'm thinking, I thought you said you were going for a week. And he shared the bad news. He was defrauded. He should have been a little more careful. In fact, you don't exchange money with guys off the road. You're asking for trouble. The point is, the whole journey, he thought he was okay. The whole journey. And just before entry, that's when he realized he wasn't. He had been defrauded. Now, the advantage with him is that he could come back. He could come back. The problem with spirits deceiving you is that there is no coming back. You arrive on the other side. As far as you're concerned, all is well. And then when you produce your whatever currency, you are told, sorry, it's wrong. There's no going back. It's a one-way street. You're not coming into heaven. That place billowing with black smoke, that's your destination for all eternity. Now, you only have yourself to blame. Because the Bible said to you again and again, don't be careless. Make sure you test every spirit. 
so that you are not deceived. You are not led to think this is God's messenger only to discover it's a messenger of the devil when it is too late. So what do you do? The guy is giving you what he claims to be South African runs. You hold them up against the sun. I'm not exactly sure who is there now, whether it's Mandela or Steve Biko or whatever, but you look through. Maybe it's an ego. Maybe there's a silver line that they've tucked in between. I'm not too sure, but you, you look through. Is this genuine? If it's not, you put it back in his hands. And you say to him, you thought I was a fool. And you mention the unprintables. You're upset that it should think of you that way. That's what you do. Check. Check. Don't just go off in a hurry and pay for it later. That's what he's saying to us here. With respect to those who claim to be teachers. Listen carefully. Put them to the test. Are they servants of God? Now, why is this important? Why was it important then? Why is it important now? Well, John gives us the reason. Here, listen to this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because for many false prophets have gone into the world. Many false prophets have gone into the world. Remember what I said earlier on. Spirits work through human beings. And that's why he has suddenly changed from spirits to prophets. He would have easily said, because many false spirits have gone into the world. But now he wants us to understand these spirits use human beings. Sometimes sincere human beings. But the spirits are using them to deceive you so that while you are thinking you are being taken to heaven, you are actually going the wrong place. Prophets were individuals who claimed and still claim, because we have a lot of them going around these days, to have special knowledge from God. That they, they, they know something about God and his ways that you don't know. And consequently, they, they want to help you. Because if you don't have that knowledge from them, you are an individual who will miss out on God's blessing or on God's ways. And in many ways, therefore, the term need not be limited to prophets. It's a term that can be used by anyone, including myself, as a, as a pastor, a teacher of the word of God. You filled up this auditorium because you believe my claim that I am sent here by God to teach you. So you come to learn. Otherwise, you would have been at home reading the Sunday Mail or the Sunday Times. So it doesn't matter who it is, whether he calls himself pastor or reverend or, or apostle or, or bishop or, 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 or whatever other terms, prophet, uh, pope, whatever term it might be. Father, the point is, anybody who claims that he has the message from God for you, for your welfare, so that you may live a life that is pleasing to God and consequently on the final day be received by God, whoever does that, fix him in this text. Under the term prophet. However, 
Here's the point. Some are false and others are true. Some are false, others are true. If you believe a true prophet, you are safe. Because he will guide you to heaven. If you believe a false prophet, you are damned. You are in trouble. Because you will arrive on the celestial railroad and then hear that devilish laughter. And it's too late. It's too late. The sad reality that John is pointing out here is this. There are many false prophets that have been unleashed upon the world. Many false prophets that have been unleashed upon the world. Beware. Beware. Now, the simple point that I want to raise, which I want to do using the actual Zambian currency in my pocket, is I have a 50 kwacha note here. And I can tell the younger section of the church has even stopped making noise. I've got 50 kwacha. I'm not giving it to you guys. The point I want to make is this. Due to the fact that we rarely ever come across false 50 kwachas, I can almost bet that none of you who last got a 50 kwacha note went like this. I doubt it. Because they are so rare. They probably are there somewhere in Matero. <laughs> okay, Pastor Tole would be too happy with me about that. But uh, the point I'm making is because they are so rare, we, we've taken it for granted. When, when you're given a 50 kwacha not, you just take it, you put it in your pocket, you can tell there's a 50 there, it must be the right one, and you forget about it. Now, let's assume the Bank of Zambia was to make an announcement that a lot of 50 kwacha notes on the market are false. <laughs> that would change now. Whenever you are given a 50 kwacha note, eh, what will you do? That's what you do. Very quickly, you want to see whether there is, I think it's the ego, I'm not exactly sure what appears in it anymore, and then the little silver thing. You, you want to see, are all those security markings there? Because you've been told there are many false 50 kwacha notes on the market. Now, friends, that's what John is doing here. He's saying, don't function as though the Bank of Zambia hasn't warned you. In this case, the Bank of Heaven. Don't function like that. God has said it. There are many false prophets that have been unleashed upon the world. So, don't be gullible. Don't be careless. Don't believe someone just because he says, I am a prophet, I'm a pastor, I'm a reverend, I'm a this, apostle, what? Don't believe them. There is a test, and as we shall soon be seeing, it's in the scriptures. It's in the scriptures. A test of orthodoxy. A test of truth. A test of being Christ-centered. And sadly, human beings just don't listen. We just don't listen. We end up, as it were, at the borders of South Africa with, with false currency in our hands. And you, you, you have yourself to blame. Because God's word is plain. As it says there in verse 2, 
By this you know the Spirit of God. How? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And clearly is speaking in terms of the truths surrounding the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is your test. Because Christianity is about Christ. It's not about thick pockets full of money. It's not about healthy bodies. It's not about jobs and, 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 and marriage and, 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 and children and, and, and whatever else goes with all that. It's about Jesus Christ. The savior of the world who has come into the world to live and to die in our place. That through him our sins might be forgiven. That through him our hearts might be transformed. That we may begin to live a life that was previously impossible because his spirit is in us leading us and empowering us to obey God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. All he's telling you is, come, I'll give you this. Come to my place and you'll get this from me. Come, come, come. And you go. Well, brethren, this is only the beginning. It's just verse one that we've looked at. It's the beginning of six verses in which John warns his listeners and his readers. He warns them. Before he returns to the subject of love, he warns with all his heart, Beloved, I love you. Listen to me. Don't allow yourself to be gullible. Too many people that have ended up with a form of Christianity that is other than biblical Christianity and they perish. They perish. I said that I would touch on the deliverance movement at least once more. The question I often ask is, is what they are doing, what the apostles and Jesus Christ himself, is that what they were doing? Is it? Do you read your Bible and you find Jesus or Paul busy saying, you know, if you're failing to get married, come. Huh? You're failing to conceive, come. Hmm? You're failing to, to get a job, come. Keep coming, come. Come to the mountaintop, pray for you, come. Is that what you read in the book of Acts? Is it? Because they were clearly filled with the Spirit of God. Or do you hear them pointing you to Jesus Christ, these great apostles? There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved but Jesus Christ. Go to him with your sin. Go to him with your guilt. Go to him with that weight on your heart. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But let me tell you who again and again says, are you failing to be cured? Come and see me. Are you failing to get married? Come. Are you failing to have a child? Come. Are you failing to get a job? Come. You'll find me just in the outskirts between Lusaka and Kafue. Just that you have to go a bit more into the bush, but you'll find me there. I'll tell you who it is. Which doctors? That's who the people are who do this. It's which doctors. And all that has happened because these spirits 
are deceiving spirits is that they have removed all those uh, chicken feathers that were around their heads and around their waists and they've now put on a dog collar or changed their names. That's all. But it's the same gimmick. It's the same thing that's now entered into the churches. And we are flooding there like uh, the, the, the rats that were following Peter Piper into the river. And I especially want to warn young people because I was once there and so many years later, 30, 40 years later, many of our friends made shipwreck of their lives completely. They are a sorry sight if they are not already dead. Because they were careless. They were gullible. For some reason, they refused to read this book and so read it that their antennas were up and they could tell when a person was claiming to be a servant of God but not teaching what this book is really saying. In fact, they were accusing some of us as being just too legalistic, being too hard, being of a censorious spirit and, and everything else. Where are they today? And so John's comment, or rather plea here, is an all important one. It's an all important one. Don't be careless. Young people, think, think, think. That brain of yours was not a gift from the devil. It was a gift from God. He's the one who put it between your two ears so that you can think. And if someone gives you a snake and says it would taste like chocolate, think. Simple. Think. Want chocolate? Go to ShopRite. Buy it. <laughs> Think. But more so, make sure that any teacher who stands before you is pointing you to Christ. The Christ of the Bible. Make sure about that. If he points you anywhere else, Run for your life. Because you need no other argument. You need no other plea. It's Christ and Christ is enough. I hope you have found in him all that you need for life and living. Continue in him to the very end.